Hello and welcome to Policy Voices by Friends of Europe, an independent think tank with a difference. Each week from Brussels, we bring you powerful conversations with policy voices from around the world. Policy Voices talking policy choices. Did you know that having your childhood affected by war is one of the most common shared experiences of humanity? The war and its consequences do not end when fighting ends. They stay with us. The consequences of war for children are not only multi-layered and complex. They stay with them. They stay in our societies. We should remind ourselves of this so that we also know how long-term are the consequences of decisions we are making. Hello, I'm Katerina Villanova and you're listening to Policy Voices, Friends of Europe's weekly podcast. The voice that you heard just now belongs to Yasminka Walilovic, the founder of the World Childhood Museum. Yasminka was a keynote speaker at State of Europe, Friends of Europe's flagship event last November. Based in Sarajevo, this is the only museum in the world focused exclusively on childhood affected by war. Speaking in front of European commissioners and national leaders from across Europe, Yasminko reminded everyone that childhood is one of the most common shared experiences of humanity. Yasminko spoke to Mary Fitzgerald, trustee of Friends of Europe, about two pieces from the World Childhood Museum that he brought to Brussels. A book from Ukraine and a scarf from Gaza. Symbols of too many childhoods affected by conflict. Here's our conversation. Hello and welcome. This is Mary Fitzgerald, trustee at Friends of Europe, in conversation today with Yasminko Halilovic. Yasminko is the founder and director of the War Childhood Museum in Sarajevo, a unique museum that aims to bring the stories and experiences of children in conflict to a wider audience. Yasminko, welcome. What you're doing with this museum is, is very different to the traditional idea or concept of a museum. Uh, you're not interpreting the past here. Instead, you're allowing the, the stories and the, the stories uh, within these possessions, these items that are uh, displayed in the museum to tell their own story. Uh, true. Uh, our collection is uh, is hundred percent crowdsourced from the community. So our exhibition comes as a as as a collection of voices of different voices who all had the opportunity to have their uh, to, to 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 tell their own story. And uh, this is a. Uh, it's not only about our museum. I think it's a kind of a trend in the museum industry. Where we are moving from the from the uh, big, usually big, usually state-run uh, institutions that aim to tell the history of of a nation, the history of a city, the history of a group of people, we are moving, I think, more towards the museum museums where where uh, the stories, the histories of of individual people, of of citizens, uh, are told, and uh, this is at, at at the heart of the concept of the War Childhood Museum. And the museum opened in 2017, and today you have more than 4,000 um, exhibits, items um, within the, the museum. Those items include uh, items from recent wars in Afghanistan, in Iraq, Syria, uh, Ukraine, and Gaza. In terms of the, the, the kind of breadth of, of items within the museum, are there particular items that um, have stood out for you? 
Well, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a question I, I, I often get, and it's a question that I, for a very long time, avoid to, avoid to answer, because uh, as a founder of the museum, uh, I, I stand behind our promise that, that each object, each story is equally important to the museum. Uh, but of course, on, on, a, on a more human level, each visitor, each person interacting with our collection will find something what will strike them the most or what they will connect the most to it. It's also a case with me. So definitely there are some objects and some stories that came in uh, that, that had a particular effect on me. For example, uh, there was a story where I recognized that, uh, although I didn't remember this person, I recognized we lived in the same neighborhood and she was talking about my friend who was killed during the war. So of course, like uh, when something gets so close to you, uh, of course, you would identify stronger with these stories or objects than, than with others. Uh, but uh, what I'm saying uh, about all stories and objects being equally valuable, I think this is also an important point because very often the contributors to our collection, they, they feel uh, that their story, for example, is not either interesting enough or important enough to be told in a museum uh, because, uh, you know, there are stories uh, there are very difficult stories. There are stories about one person losing so many members of their family. And when you, when, for example, I didn't lose members of my closest family in the war. So I might think, okay, is my story about going to school really uh, as important to, 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 to stand next to, next to, next to this one in, in the exhibition? But uh, this is what actually uh, it is about. It is about uh, different experiences. It is, it is about different perspectives. Uh, it is about uh, um, not only showing uh, how someone is uh, uh, hurt or killed, it's also about showing how the war affects education, it's showing how war affects freedom of movement, it's showing about how food, uh, war affects food and nutrition. So it's, it's, it's so many things under, under one umbrella. And I think this is, this is what, what, what puts Forge Atlas Museum in, in a unique position to really uh, show to visitors what uh, war does to children, uh, because it's so many voices and so many perspectives. Now, you've been working on um, ongoing conflicts, conflicts that are very much um, in the news at, at present, the, the war in Ukraine and the ongoing conflict in Gaza. Let's talk about um, each of those and the work you've been doing on them. Let's start with Ukraine first. What kind of work has the museum been doing in Ukraine? Uh, I, I personally started going to Ukraine uh, in 2015, just after the Maidan Revolution. And uh, uh, of course, uh, I got interested into this country because uh, uh, as a Bosnian, I very much know what does it mean to, to uh, be born, raised and live on the border of the European Union and be part of the generation which is striving to, to join this union and to prove that we are European enough as well. Uh, so I could easily identify with, with my friends in Ukraine uh, trying the same. And uh, uh, in 2017, I, I had a chance to visit the front lines in the east, in Donbass, because uh, the Donbass war was already going on since 2014. And uh, by visiting these front lines, I clearly saw some images from my own childhood. I saw uh, children going to schools uh, uh, through military checkpoints. I, I could see destroyed schools and classrooms. I entered some of those. And uh, for me, it was a... Uh, a very natural, and this is something that I always wanted the War Childhood Museum to do, is not to be limited with its work to the borders of our country. And even before starting the work in Ukraine, we already worked with Syrian child refugees and on some other international projects. Uh, so, so in 2017-18, uh, we agreed with one researcher 
who, who lived in the, in the east of Ukraine to start working with us and document some stories and experiences for us and collect some objects. And this is how it started as a really small scale research project in the east of Ukraine. Uh, later, as, as Ukraine, as you know, it's a huge country and there were already millions of families displaced, meaning also millions of children around the country. So we also spread our research work around the country through some uh, researchers who work with internally displaced children. And uh, our collection was growing and uh, uh, then uh, this is many regions in Ukraine. So as we as our researchers network grew, we also wanted, we needed to coordinate them. So we understood that we need office in Ukraine. So in 2020, we opened our office in Kiev, which became the first international office of our museum. And we, this, we continued to work around the country. Of course, we didn't know uh, that the full-scale invasion would follow and change everything. And then after the full-scale invasion happened, uh, of course, first we were struck with it. We had to evacuate our collections, to evacuate our team from Kiev. And uh, then we kept working and our collection doubled since. And now we have more than 300 stories uh, uh, documenting the war in Ukraine, uh, half of them uh, since the full-scale invasion started. Uh, we did exhibitions in, in Ukraine. We did many exhibitions outside of Ukraine since the full-scale invasion started. But now we are, uh, again, starting to exhibit in the country as well. Before we move on to Reza Yasminko, um, one item in the in the collection from Ukraine that really caught my attention was uh, the stuffed toy, a teddy bear, um, that the mother of uh, a child who was injured um, donated to the museum. Can you tell us a little bit about that um, that item? And the story behind it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I would say a relatively common story uh, in the World Childhood Museum's collection where the stuffed toys or different toys are giving comforts to younger children during the war. Uh, so this boy behind the story, he was uh, he was injured, and uh, as as you said, uh, uh, his mother got him this teddy bear, which brought him comfort uh, during his recovery period, and. Uh, uh, this, this happened uh, before the full-scale invasion. This, this object museum received, I think, in 2020. Uh, and we also exhibited it, I remember, in our exhibition in Kiev in 2021. Uh, and it was, uh, as you know, teddy bear is a, a very common toy in childhoods around the world. It was very much, uh, uh, it was very much noticed by, by many visitors who would take photos, photos with, with, with this teddy bear. And in relation to the ongoing conflict in Gaza, um, recently at the Friends of Europe, State of Europe event in Brussels uh, to open a discussion on EU foreign policy, you gave a presentation where you displayed an item from Ukraine and an item from Gaza. Today we met to discuss the State of Europe. Picture yourself beyond these walls within the intimate setting of our exhibition. Take a minute to read the story and for a moment in time, put all of your attention into the object in front of you. Can you explain the story behind that item from Gaza that you, uh, that you presented? Uh, yes, uh, the, the museum started working uh, uh, in Gaza in uh, 2021 and we worked 2021-2022 and uh, created a very small collection. This is a small research project with one researcher. So we have, I think, 16 objects in total. Uh, one of these objects, I, it's true, I brought with me into this uh, State of Europe event uh, by Friends of Europe in Brussels. Uh, I, I, think, I think the obj objects in general, I believe that they hold a special power. 
to to make people think and to uh, make people talk and to allow the discussion to start. Uh, this is this is uh, also at the heart of our mission as a museum. And uh, uh, the, the the object that I brought is is the object of, of one girl. Uh, it's it's a scarf uh, which which uh, uh, tells the the I would say the usual story of childhood, but also mentions the history of her family and how they had uh, to flee generations ago. And the, the, this is the reason why she was even born in Gaza and why she, why she lives there. And uh, uh, many stories in in our collection from Gaza, as they were collected in 2021, 2022. Uh, they 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 tell you how the life under the blockade looks like, and this is uh, very. I can connect to this because I grew up during the siege of Sarajevo. Uh, so, for example, I remember the story where uh, one sister is studying abroad and another sister is in Gaza, and they cannot meet for many years because it's not easy to get in, get out. Uh, so, sister is writing that she didn't didn't see her sister for three years. So stories like this, which which really stay with you, and uh, uh, that uh, which which reminds us that that no child, not no child, should should grow up in these circumstances. So let's talk then about the the role of the museum and the role of initiatives like the museum, um, artistic initiatives um, in fostering understanding and uh, reconciliation when it comes to to conflict. Let's start first with uh, the role the the museum has played at home in Bosnia and Herzegovina. What what role has it played and how um, has it helped in terms of fostering understanding and reconciliation? Uh, Well, I think think the biggest role museum uh, played is uh, on very personal, deeply personal, individual level for people. Uh, on one hand, those who contributed to the collection, and also on another hand, those who did not contribute to the collection, but in some way engage with the collection or interact with it. Uh, I think museum filled this gap uh, in documentation of conflicts, provided former war children to tell their stories, to, to feel visible, to feel seen and heard. Uh, this has a very much uh, healing effects for some of them. Uh, also, this this mere act of putting uh, like like picking one uh, very often most important piece of your past and uh, putting it to the museum. This has some some symbolic meaning on the on the individual level that you are finally ready to take that thing uh, from yourself and put it somewhere else where it belongs. In this case, the museum. Uh, we we see this from the feedback from from participants and contributors. We see this uh, because many of them bring their own children today present parts of their childhood in the museum to them. And so uh, I think the biggest contribution that museum gave is this healing process for, for many, many individuals. Uh, on the other hand, on a more community society level, I think what we demonstrated is uh, that it is possible uh, to talk about the war in a respectful way, in a constructive way, in a way that will not inspire new divisions. And considering the, the, the how 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 for memory and remembrance is often misused in our country, I think this is also a very relevant and important contribution. And that question of of memory and remembrance being misused, as as you put it, I think is is a really important one. To 
to talk about the question of memorialization. Uh, memorialization is something that um, in, in Europe in particular has been considered very, very important um, over, over the last century or so. The idea of memorializing not just conflict, but also um, atrocities, um, the Holocaust has been highly memorialized, but we're seeing in recent years, for a number of reasons, uh, including the fact that we're living in an age of, of social media, which has uh, really uh, brought uh, misinformation and disinformation to unprecedented uh, levels, we're seeing all kinds of challenges to the process of memorialization and the process of ensuring that memorialization is an ongoing um, ongoing process and ongoing uh, conversation. Do you have any thoughts on that in terms of the challenges of memorialization in this age of, of social media and very real polarization? Well, uh, I think there are many challenges in what you are mentioning. And uh, obviously, uh, one of them is spreading the, the misinformation. And this also hurts uh, good memorialization practices. Uh, we live in times when misinformation is so easily spread and uh, you have museums as institutions that, for example, museums I'm taking because I'm working in a museum. Uh, one of the key things uh, that is expected by an audience from, from the museum is integrity and truth. And uh, museums are in position to present often our present, but mostly our past. And they try to do it in, in a responsible way uh, most often. But what happens is that uh, algorithms not really like this and uh, the reach of responsible institutions go down while the reach of those who are looking for sensation or who are uh, willing to manipulate the memory in order to get more visibility, uh, their reach is going up. And what, what, what uh, worries me the most is that this is very often done by decision makers and politicians. And we can see it even in the post-conflict Bosnia. We can also see it uh, around the world. Um, very often people uh, don't put first human dignity when, when they are creating content and, and publishing content online. What they put first is how audience will react and what will have the, the biggest reach. And uh, when dignity is sacrificed for the sake of the reach, I think uh, uh, this is creating very, very complex, complex issues. You also have, uh, for example, in, in Belfast, which is my home for, for many years, um, the growth of what some people call conflict tourism. And on my last visit to, to Belfast, I was really struck by how much this had developed within the city. And depending on where you went and what tour you went on, you were having um, you know, the, the perspective of what had happened during our conflict from a per one side or, or the other. Because of course, there is no, despite the fact our peace agreement is, uh, is 25 years old uh, this year, there is no real agreed upon narrative of what happened uh, over the, the three decades of our, our conflict. And that's another aspect here, I think, in terms of you know, memorialization, who is, is responsible for the memorialization? What kind of memorialization does that produce? And I think the value of the War Childhood Museum is, again, we're going back to that question of you're not interpreting the past. Um, you're presenting individual stories that tell very personal stories amid the, the greater sweep of history. 
Uh, yes, I mean, uh, if we go back to history, uh, we know that history is mostly written by winners. And uh, some conflicts, they don't have a clear winner, um, as is example with, with the war in Bosnia. Uh, what then happens is that each, each, each side, let's say, creates their own version of, of history and their own narrative. And then there are usually uh, institutions, state institutions that are in charge of uh, promoting these narratives. Uh, when it comes to interest, uh, when it comes to the to the interest of tourists, I think this is very natural. I also uh, I witness this in, in my home city of Sarajevo, and of course, people who are coming there are also interested in the, in the conflict and, and the war. Uh, I think that the real question, as you as you put it, is uh, how do we present this history to them? Which voices are presented, uh, and who decides on this? Uh, I'm uh, I'm. As 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 uh, as the concept of our museum shows, the, uh, my my approach to this is very liberal. I think uh, each individual, I think part of the justice, I think part of basic human dignity is to allow people to tell their stories, and uh, I think each individual should should have this opportunity. And for me, the perfect case scenario, uh, if if you have the city that lived that that went through the war, and then you have tourists coming in. Uh, for me, the perfect scenario is not to have one building where they all go. The perfect scenario is that, that they go in the streets, they go into the cafes, they, they talk to local people. And this is how they learn, through the lived experiences, through personal stories. And this is something that, that our museum tries to, to, to contribute to, this plural, plurality of voices. Very important indeed. So what's next for the War Childhood uh, Museum? You mentioned uh, some of the projects, some of the, the countries and contexts uh, that you've been working in more recently. What are the plans um, over the next year, for example? Um, are there plans for traveling exhibits, plans to expand the, the museum, particularly in the online and virtual space? Well, uh, uh, there are always a couple of ongoing processes when it comes to our museum. One is expanding the collection, and we have a network of researchers around the world documenting uh, for us, so the collection is being expanded all the time. So that's that's one side. Another one is obviously reaching new visitors and audiences with our exhibitions, so presenting this collection. Uh, uh, in, the, in the coming year, we will have a big exhibition in South Korea. This is the first time museum will be exhibiting outside of Europe, so for us it's a uh, uh, kind of a, of, of a big deal and a big project and uh, we are looking to, uh, to learn how the audience in, in South Korea will react to, to our collection. Uh, we will also obviously have other exhibitions. And uh, the third very important area of our work is uh, peace and justice education. Uh, we are working with uh, hundreds of schools, uh, thousands of uh, students and teachers who are using our collection uh, for the educational purposes, uh, who are using our resources and materials. And uh, recently we have launched uh, our Peace and Justice uh, Education Resource Center on our website, uh, which is allowing teachers from around the world, not only teachers, but educators, even peer-to-peer -peer educators, all educators, to, to download uh, different activity plans, to download different resources, which they can directly easily implement in their classrooms or their surroundings. Uh, so this is something we will be expanding on as well, uh, connecting with more educators around the world and tracking uh, 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 how, how our resources can be most helpful in, 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 in for learning and for education. 
Sounds wonderful. Um, so a lot of, of plans for, for the coming year and years indeed. Uh, Yasminko, thank you very much for joining us today and uh, sharing your thoughts and, and perspectives, not just on the work your museum is doing, but the wider questions of uh, memorialization and remembrance. Thank you. Thank you, Mary, for having me. And uh, uh, as, as always, great to exchange with you. There was Yasmingo Alilovic, the founder of the World Childhood Museum in Bosnia and Herzegovina, speaking to Mary Fitzgerald, trustee, a friend of Europe. Don't forget to subscribe to Policy Voices wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode. I'm Katerina Villanova and I will be with you again next Friday. Bye.